in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 183. This week my guest is Alan Hoskins and he's the president of American Farm Mortgage in Lexington, Kentucky. And this edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Well, Alan, Alan, welcome back to the show, man. How you been? Doing well, Casey. Thanks for the opportunity to come back. I appreciate oh, man, it. I appreciate you being on. So where are you uh where are you at in your plant? Are you getting ready to start? Are you about done or midway through or what's uh what's the story there? I would tell you that it's more probably the midway point. Gotcha. We had had some dry weather earlier in the spring, got a few things in and uh, kinda had some rain come in, which is was kinda welcome actually, but we could use a little dry weather right now. Yep. Yeah, it's that it's that tail of the tape, isn't it, man? You got start out dry, and then it gets a little wet, and the next thing you know, you're like, I don't want to. I don't want to wish for drier weather, but I, I sure wouldn't wouldn't mind a little break in the in the weather right now. Absolutely. All right. So for those of you that haven't listened to the podcast before with Alan on, Alan's been on probably four or five times in the past, and Alan is a uh, he is a is a banker, and he is a uh, uh, and a farmer, and he's also a little bit of an equipment guy. He goes out and has a hobby, I don't know why he must be a glutton for punishment, but one of his hobbies is uh, trading back and forth, use equipment a little bit here and there. So I like to get Alan on because his perspective uh, on the marketplace from, is, it's, it's, it's really broad. I mean, you got a guy that's a, a, a lender and he's farming and he's in the equipment business, so it's a, it's a pretty robust opinion and, and he's one of the best guys in the business from as far as I'm concerned about what's going on. And one of the things I want to talk with Alan about is you know, as we look at trading equipment and what that looks like, um, I, I've I've said not because you have to, because you want to, several times on this on this podcast since I had it started. And one of the things I mean by that is, depending on what your operation is, there's a certain point in time where reconditioning outpaces um, your ability to um, rightfully depreciate a machine. Right. So you're fighting two two animals there. You're fighting depreciation and reconditioning costs. And, and there's a sweet spot in there where you want to hit that spot together where you've maximized the machine enough that you're not over reconditioning, spend a ton of money on reconditioning every year. And then there's a sweet spot where depreciation is hit that you've gotten the best out of it from a tax perspective and everything else that goes into that. You've gotten the you gotten all the juice out of the squeeze there and it's time to move on to the next machine. And Alan has done a great job over the years of, of talking with his clients about that very subject. So, Alan, uh, let's just jump into this. As you sit back and you're looking at a guy's operation, whether he is a uh, he or she is a uh, a, a big play where they're going to put going to have two or three combines and they're going to put three or four hundred hours a year on that combine, or this the guy that's got the uh, you know fit, you know five hundred to thousand acres and he's going to put. 100 hours a year on a combine type of thing. When you're talking with them about that very scenario, how do you go about talking with them and, and finding where that point is? Well, first of all, Casey, before I say anything, what I want to do, and, and it's different if it's a long-term customer versus a new customer. Okay. If it's a new customer, the first few conversations that I have with them, I want 
I want to use the 80-20 rule, but I want to be listening 80% of the time and only talking 20% of the time. Because in that conversation, what I want to be learning is more about their thoughts and their ideas because my job is not to be there to tell them what to do. My job is to learn what they're thinking and then based upon maybe experiences that I have or things that I've seen, then maybe we have a conversation where I ask some questions and in some degree, Casey, let them self-discover what the best ideas may be because I won't say this about you, I'll say it about me. If people engage me in a conversation and I have the chance to kind of hear my own words, there's times that I've listened to what I've said and I thought, wait a minute, maybe that's not the best course of action. Mm-hmm. So I would tell you if it's a new customer, that's kind of going to be more along the lines of how the conversation is going to go. Yeah. If it's an existing customer that we've dealt with for a number of years, chances are probably what's occurring in that conversation the majority of the time is more of a reaffirmation of what they believe and what they're thinking because typically if I have a long-term customer, they're doing some things pretty well and they have some pretty good philosophies. But even at that, one of the things that Casey, I want to hear as part of the conversation when they talk about, you know, here's a trade cost, but here's a reconditioning cost. I also want to hear how they're allocating time as part of the reconditioning cost. Because we all know as as machines do get more age on them, they get more hours on them. Many times it's not the cost of the parts that creates the issue. It may be the cost of the downtime. Right. Good point. That's a huge component in my mind of when you look at, do I continue to run a machine or do I can do, I decide it's time to trade. I want to hear over the past four years, because even with our long-term customers, obviously Casey, I don't know how many hours maybe that combine has been down over the past three or four years. So that's a part of the conversation that I want to hear is tell me about the downtime. Tell me about how that may have affected your ability to get the crop out. And let's assign a number to that because there is a real number to downtime. Yes, there is. Especially when you're combining and your combine's down, there's black clouds moving in on you. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty big, big number coming at you. If you have a a massive storm come through, no doubt about that. All right. So now let's, let's, uh, when, when you, when you're, Talking with a customer, and I, I hear I hear bankers this comes out of bankers' mouth all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, he doesn't need to trade his machine because the one he's got is paid for, and that's perfect. You know, he's got a good equity position, right? I'm like, okay, cool. I go, he does have a payment though. It's it's whatever the shop bill is. That could be as much or more than what the uh, his actual payment would have been. Um, you know, you have a twenty or thirty thousand dollar shop bill. You know, if you start really doing the math on that. That's a pretty mm-hmm. decent down payment on a on an upgraded machine that can not have that twenty or thirty thousand dollar shot bill that you see year after year after year as a machine gets older. Mm-hmm. And and I want to preface that with it's not irregardless of hours how much the reconditioning cost is at a certain point. It's the number of hours that you continue to put on something. You know, mm-hmm. if you're putting four hundred hours a year on a machine that's got fifteen hundred hours, you're going to have mm-hmm. a pretty big shot bill. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're putting 100 hours a year on a 1500 hour machine, 
you might have that shot bill every other year, every two years, every three years, something like that. And so it's not that big of a deal, right? It's it's what you're doing. So when I hear that, I immediately come back with, well, yeah, they've got a payment. It's called shop bill. So mm-hmm. where, how do you, how do you balance those? How, how are you gonna how are you gonna balance that conversation with that customer? Well, first of all, let's say that I have two customers, and each of them have a combine that has fifteen hundred separator hours. For one of the things, Casey, I want to bear in mind is fifteen hundred hours is not created equally on both those machines. True. Very true. If I've got a customer that I know they want to shell corn six and a half mile an hour, regardless of how good a corn it is, and they're constantly pushing that machine versus the customer that maybe they're shelling corn at four miles an hour, and I know that they tend to maybe take a little better overall care of the machine, those are going to be two completely different conversations. Yep. Because that the harder you push a machine, let's face it, as much as we love the electronics of the machine, the harder you push a machine, the more it's going to be affected mechanically. Absolutely. So the guys that are out there really pushing these machines, even if their machine's paid for, I agree with your comment completely. There's still a payment on that machine. Just like the people that are driving their passenger cars or their pickups. Right. And they say, well, my car's paid for. I don't have a car payment. Yes, you do. It's just you're not paying it every month. Right. We're going to have a payment. So what I would say, Casey, is I want to understand, and again, a long-term customer, I should have a pretty good idea of this because I should be able to look at their tax return and look at their repairs and maintenance as a percentage of gross revenue. And I can usually get a pretty good idea unless there's an aberration in there of a one-time item, I can get a pretty good idea of how that equipment probably is being treated mm-hmm. for the most part. So I'm going to frame the conversation differently for the people that are really pushing hard versus I am the people that are going to use the machine more in the manner in which it's intended. Now, the other thing, Casey, that, that I would reasonably expect, the trade-in value on the guys that push the equipment the trading value is not going to be as strong mm-hmm. because, again, you're going to look when you get ready to trade for a machine or any dealer is going to, they're going to look at the condition of that machine. Right. It's going to be directly related to how the farmer handles it. So there's not really a one-size-fits-all manner in that, but the guy that pushes harder, he's going to have one of two things. He's either going to be trading more frequently or he's going to have a higher level of repairs and maintenance and more downtime. And again, it's going to go back to what's going to make the most sense for that person as an individual, because that's the one thing, Casey, I do my best to remember. Every one of our customers is a person. They're not a balance sheet. They're not a tax return. And I need to know their characteristics and how they handle things. Mm -hmm. And that's going to help me be a better banker to them. Gotcha. Okay. Um, When you're having that conversation, At what point do you start saying, you know what, I really think it's better for you to trade now than it is for you to go ahead and run this machine for another year and make this payment? I mean, when when do you start advocating for this is what's best for you, regardless of payment or not? I think what I start doing, 
is is not first of all not telling them what's best for them. Okay. But rather saying, so let me see if I understand this correctly. You think you've lost four or five days of downtime over the past year because of higher than normal repairs and maintenance. That your repair bills were twenty thousand dollars more last year than they were the year before, and you're looking at maybe another thirty or forty. What I want to do is make sure I'm understanding what they're telling me based upon the research they've done. If they haven't done research, well, what do you think you might learn if you talk to the dealership about this? What do you think you might find out? And then let them, again, I'm, I'm a big believer in people self-discovering for the most part. Because it's, you know, I don't have their capital at risk. They do. So I, I'm not going to say this is what you need to do. But I'm probably going to say, so let me see if I understand this correctly. If you trade, here's your trade difference. Here's your payment amount. If you continue to run this machine, here's kind of what you're looking at spending on this machine this year. And let's see, what do you think that machine will be worth in a year? Just kind of talk it through. And what I find the most of the time, Casey, in, in cases like that, people reach the right decision. Right on. All right, so that the the flip side of that is then so when you're looking at the overall value of the machine like you're talking about and you know reconditioning costs do play some level of of increasing the value of the used piece of equipment obviously if it needs completely overhauled and you don't do anything then it's you know <clears throat> there's a price and if it's been completely overhauled and it's ready to go and it's brand new again and it's a whole different price right and it's a whole different clientele right so you have some customers that are i, I can do all the work myself i'll buy this one over here and mm -hmm. and i'm, I'm going to save the the labor cost that the shop would do and the other guy over here is like i don't have time to mess with that and i don't want to mess with it and they're trained technicians and i feel mm -hmm. more comfortable for them working on them a hired hand or whatever it is they got going on mm -hmm. and they turn them loose when you have that conversation with a customer on those two scenarios you know I'm, I'm upgrading my machine from a to b and, and there's different levels of whatever based on their mechanical experience how are you how do you handle that conversation well first of all casey is as time is continuing to go on the number of people that have the ability mm -hmm. to do the major work on a combine is becoming fewer and fewer you know number one with just the way combines have changed. There's electronics yeah. involved in. But even if you're talking about just the mechanics today, the complexity of the combine today is making it such that, yes, the basics of the combine are pretty simple, but the mechanics of being able to fix things are becoming a lot more complex. Okay. So I think that group that is able to do the more sophisticated mechanical item replacements that need to be done, that group is shrinking. So I'm not having that conversation nearly as often as I used to. Because, I, you know, at one time I could tell you that I had multiple people as customers that were farmers that used to work for an equipment dealership. And did they have the ability to do it? Absolutely they did. Today... Not so much. Yeah. So that conversation is a whole lot more rare. 
the conversation with the person who is more reliant upon the dealership is everybody is becoming candidly. That's the more frequent conversation. And the thing that I counsel people there is, and I, I would say the vast majority of our customers have really good relationships with their dealerships. And Casey, that's why one of the things I like to hear if, if I'm looking at taking on a new customer, tell me about your relationship with the dealer networks you utilize. Because I want to hear a little bit about are they having, do they have a good enough relationship with the dealership to truly understand what things are needing to be done to a machine versus not? And how are they understanding what is being done, what may need to be looked at in a year or so, so that we can project ahead? Because, Casey, one of the things that that I think producers can improve at is anticipating those needs maybe a year or two before they occur as far as a trade. Mm-hmm. In, in, now, obviously, excluding the guys that roll every year. But, you know, are you on a, a three-year plan, typically a five-year plan? Why are you on that plan? Uh, and I want to go back to something you said earlier where a banker says that, you know, the, the person doesn't have a payment. One of the things, Casey, I'm a big believer in, and I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent here, but I'm a big believer in, even if a farmer has zero equipment debt, plug a debt payment into your cash flow every year. Put that money aside so that when you do get ready to trade, you're trading with your money. Now, if there's 0% available, you know, 0%, I don't know too many times using someone's money for free isn't a pretty good deal. Yeah, it usually works out pretty well for you. But I just think it's important to have that payment plugged in there, even if you're not going to trade for a year or two. But back to answer your question, I, I think with the people that are going to be utilizing the dealership more, just make sure that that you have that good relationship. Talk to the tech about you know what are the things that we need to do today, have to do today, versus what do you anticipate is going to need to be done in the next 12 months? Because if the farmer's intention is to run that machine for another two years, maybe it makes sense to go ahead and do that now as well. So that's kind of the way that that I would typically handle that conversation. Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. As you take a look at customers' operations and what they're doing and, and how they're handling these reconditioning things, um, more and more um, different kinds of programs are popping up through dealerships, whether it's a, a, a maintenance program or a technology program or whatever it might be. Um, really looking at fixed cost of operation and what that looks like to the fact where the dealer, where the, the customer just is, is looking at a payment and that's that's got everything except for their insurance and their labor costs figured into that into that payment. Um, as you have the conversation with customers and folks are having that, having those kind of things presented to them, what are your opinion of those and, and how do you feel those play into operations in, in the long term and not necessarily just a year-over-year thing? First of all, Casey, I think anytime that option is available, 
somebody should look at it. I, I think it's short-sighted not to. And I think you can look at a history, three, four, five-year history, whatever you want to look at, look at the three, four, five-year history of where your repair costs have been, and then say, okay, what if we had been under this plan over that same period? How would my numbers be different looking historically? Because typically history is a pretty good predictor, trend line of expenses. Now, you, I understand you can always lose an engine, and that can be a major item. Right, yeah. And if you've had that out there, take that into consideration when you're looking at your numbers. But I think it's a good option for people to have, and it's a good option for people to consider because it does take some of the variability of the expenditure swing out. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's an important thing. And I think particularly when you look at where equipment costs are today, and I don't see equipment probably getting cheaper in the future. No, I don't think you're, I don't think you're far off and there. I, and I certainly don't see it becoming less complex. I, I don't yeah, see no. us going back to the 7,000 planners that were right. pretty simple to yep. handle. Yep. So I, I think that becomes more of a good option for people to look at. And I, I certainly think that there is an opportunity there for people to minimize some risk. It just depends on the individual producer's circumstances because it allows the cash flow extremes to be minimized to some degree. Makes sense. Yep. So I, I think it's a good option for people to look at. Yeah, that's the. Uh, I, I think the preventative maintenance side of a, of, of the machine is is more expensive than I think mm -hmm. some people really want to believe that it is. You know, if you if you take a combine or even a, a nine R tractor or something like that, chopper, whatever it is, you're talking like gallons of tens of gallons of oil that takes to fill these things up. And you're talking, Absolutely. you know, $200 filters and these coming, mean, there's, there's, it's expensive to do that. And, um, <clears throat> that preventative maintenance also goes a long ways in just the overall health of the machine and, and, and that's, you know, curbing long-term, long-term, uh, failures down the field. It doesn't stop failure on, on wear parts and those kind of things, but just, you know, like an engine issue or a transmission issue or, a a differential issue, a hydraulic issue, something like that, where you know just keeping up on that simple preventative maintenance goes a long ways. And I think that to me is is the future when I, when I'm looking at customers and what they're doing on their thing. Uh, you know, we get the you know my hired man can do all that. He can he can change the oil and he can change absolutely he can. You're absolutely right. But why not figure that into the to your overall machine operation right from the get go and not every year I'm gonna need to spend. I got to go get a filter for that. I got to get a filter for this. And da, 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 da. there's just having that already kind of like, I don't know, prepaid is probably the right word, I guess, but having that built into your payment over the mm -hmm. three year, two year period, or whatever it is that you're, that you're doing seems to me makes a lot of sense because it's just, well, it's that fixed operation cost that we're trying to get for our customers. It is. And Casey, the other thing, if I put myself in the position, let's say I'm looking at a five year old tractor that you've got sitting on your lot. Mm -hmm. And you tell me that that's been under basically a maintenance plan with you since the day it was new. And there's an identical tractor, the same number of hours sitting there right beside it. Same equipment, the whole bit. I would think, at least in my mind, I'm going to perceive there's more value in the tractor mm -hmm. that's been under the maintenance plan 
because in my mind, it eliminates a question that I have relative to perhaps the way the machine has been cared for. Because I would say traditionally, equipment that maybe has been under that type of scenario as a whole, you're going to find is probably maybe overall in better condition. Again, I know there can be exceptions, but I'm speaking generally right now. And I can see where that could result in a higher value of that piece of equipment when it is time to do something yep. alternative with it relative to a trade. Yeah. As a lender, mm-hmm. if, if I'm coming to you and I want to buy a, a used tractor or whatever, $250,000 combine or whatever, $200,000 tractor, whatever it is, and it's I show up to you and I say, you know what, I want to buy this machine right here and here's why I want to buy it and here's the, the reason for it. Oh, and by the way, here's the... Uh, the last six years worth of shop tickets to kind of let you know the condition of this machine. As a lender, how are you? Going, how is that going to affect your overall kind of thought process about about that machine? Well, I, again, I'm going to speak personally. I'm not going to speak about the lending and industry in general because I don't know how anyone else thinks. I'll just tell you how I think. First of all, I'm going to be impressed that the customers put this kind of forethought into it going to tell me that they're probably better prepared than most because they are looking at more than just the cost per year and it tells me that they have taken time to do some research. The other thing that factors into that, it helps me as a lender if I can look back through and just see what's in those tickets and it's going to give me a greater level of comfort and you know even if I don't go see the machine it's going to give me a greater level of comfort that that machine is going to be more field ready and we should anticipate fewer obviously we should anticipate fewer repairs with that machine than what we might alternatively assume for maybe a five-year-old piece of equipment so I would say, Casey, what you just said, you couldn't devise a better scenario for me as a lender than to have someone do that. And it doesn't happen that often. I'll say it that way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think dealership, that's another thing too, is, is making that stuff readily available. And I think the uh, the idea that well, this machine's got a lot of shop tickets on it, so I mean, it's going to scare somebody away. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know that it, it is. I mean, it, you can have a lot of shop tickets for a million reasons. There could be a lot of preventive maintenance been done to it, or you know, it's got. This is one of those guys that we have. We have guys that come in and winter service programs that we have break everything out to A, B, C, and D, and the entire shop order or work order is, you know, thirty thousand bucks, but. Really, 8,000 of it needs to be fixed to get through the upcoming season, right? Well, they're like, well, I'll just take it. Let's do it all. You know, take, do it everything now, and then it's great. And you don't have to worry about it. Well, then you got the other guy who's got the same thing, and he'll, he'll just fix the 8,000 of it. Um, and, and then you got the other guy that might only fix 4,000 of the 8,000, and he's going to roll the dice to see what happens. So I think there's a, there's a million reasons why shop tickets can be uh, – can be, I don't, I never, I never see them as a negative. I've never seen a reason to believe a machine was, you know, if they're chasing electrical issues and those kind of things a lot, those kind of things pop up, 
that that could be that's a, that's a good thing to know right but if it's just you know changing filters changing oil this broke that broke those kind of things um depending on how old the machine is i mean it's i've never seen them as a negative i've always found them to be a positive in, in every situation casey think about the times that maybe you've seen and i'll pick on cars for example how many times have you seen maybe a car or a truck advertised for sale and people said, oh, and by the way, here are all the repair tickets that have ever been done to this vehicle? Yeah. Generally speaking, they do that to prove value. Right. They're not doing it to prove it's a problem. Right. So I would also say when that farmer comes in to see me and he's got all the shop tickets there, it's because he's looked at the shop tickets and he's using that as an illustration of why there is value in this machine. So that farmer's not going to, as a general rule, bring in shop tickets to indicate something is a problem. Right. If it, well, it was a problem, he wouldn't be sitting there having that discussion with me. Yep. And I'll say this. Dealerships don't try to push problems off on people. You know, I don't believe that. I don't because there's reputational damage to them if they do. And dealerships provide shop tickets and things like that to help customers feel more comfortable about the piece of equipment they're buying. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that I would evaluate that and the way that I would look at that. Yeah, yeah selling somebody a, inside a, a pile of crap is not a good way to solidify a relationship that's <laughs> no, no it isn't. and it's a pain it is a horrible thing to get figured out you know i mean it, it just never works out for for anybody involved in it and it's 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 the juice is definitely not worth the squeeze i can promise you that absolutely and and i you know what i see the dealerships that i know of and have knowledge of today they're trying to do things the right way oh yeah they're they're not trying to push problems along to somebody else. That's not the case in what I see today. Yep. Margins are thin for everybody involved in this. You know what I mean? Farmers' margins are thin. Our margins are thin. I mean, it's not, it's, it's just, it's not worth it, right? You, it's just not worth doing. Too much at stake. You know, Casey, is I, an article I wrote recently, I made this statement. I said, you know, we're not all in the same boat, but we're all dealing with the same storm. Because yeah. everybody's circumstances are unique. The dealerships are unique. The producers are unique. So in that respect, we are in a different boat. But we're all with the same storm of mm -hmm. what's going on in the world today. Yeah, I always I always joke that, you know, unfortunately, the uh, the homeowner in, in uh, suburban Chicago doesn't have much use for my combine. So I've got to make sure that I'm, I make you happy. So it's... <laughs> It's a, a pretty limited group of folks we have to sell stuff to, so it's a, it makes it you, you get a you got to make sure you take care of what what you got in front of you right there for sure. So absolutely. Well, Alan, this has been a great conversation, man. Um, I appreciate you being on the podcast. And if, if folks wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. The two ways, Casey, they can get a hold of me. Uh, first of all, I, I'm still old school. I still welcome phone calls. Take them anytime. Uh, you can reach me. Uh, my direct number is 812-213-3614. Uh, that rings directly to my office. And if I'm not in the office, it rings to my cell phone. Uh, my email address is A Hoskins, and that's H-O-S as in Sam, K-I-N-S as in Sam, 
at AmericanFarmMortgage.com. And I always enjoy hearing from people. I've, I've had some people that have reached out to me uh, and said, hey, you know, I've heard you on Casey's podcast. I really enjoy Casey's podcast. And uh, so I will tell you that there, there are some people that are really appreciative of the information you're putting out, you're putting out there and you're, you're doing some great things to help people right now and it's needed, Casey. Well, I appreciate that. And thanks for all the listeners out there. I, I do appreciate you guys. And I do enjoy doing this because, believe it or not, I uh, I probably learned more than you do by doing this podcast. So, thanks for uh, thanks for the audience. So, well, um, I'm Casey Seymour. You can find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, hit me up at movingironllc.com for all the latest uh, podcasts and blog drops. I just put one out here yesterday on uh, LinkedIn. You can find that out there on LinkedIn and, and also on the website. Doing a, a series on um, the pillars of an ag equipment dealer's kind of sales department from my perspective. So check that out. I've got two more pillars to go. So if you're not bored enough yet, just, just hang on because you're going to get bored to death. So you're going to enjoy the hell out of that. Um, also, uh, check out the Global Ag Network and all the great podcasters out there on that network. And uh, don't forget, this is Memorial Day weekend. And this is uh, one of those weekends that I, uh, I hold close, dear and near to my heart and for all the service members that help protect our, our freedom by giving the ultimate sacrifice. So thanks to all of our men and women in uniform all over the world protecting us and, and those that gave the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you very much. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Alan Hoskins. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher